What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Warning. This is a true crime podcast and is not suitable for all audiences. Please use discretion. An extra warning on this episode. This episode features a child victim. The descriptions will not be explicit and carefully and respectfully told. But please take extra care whilst listening. This is an episode I didn't think I would ever do. I carry cases with me. I've been open about that before. And when a case involves a child, it carries heavily on me for a long time. I have a deep empathy for their families who have endured the worst pain imaginable. And to listen to these cases can be traumatising. I have two children, one in primary school and one at preschool. It feels a step closer to home. But there's a genuine reason I decided to do this case, as with every case I cover. Last year, I saw an article in the newspaper about this case. And there was something in that article that felt so important. Something to do with the family members and what they were fighting for. And I wanted to do whatever I could to bring that message to other people. People like you. Because together, people like us might be able to prevent the worst from happening to another family. I'm Naomi Channel and this is Real. On the 5th of May 1997, eight-year-old Jamie Lavis went missing from his home in Openshaw, which is in Greater Manchester. Jamie's school photo shows a smiling boy that I would confidently bet would be described by many as cheeky. A broad smile, smiling eyes, neat cropped brown hair, and what looks like little dimples at the end of his smile. This was 1997, so I wasn't far off eight myself at this time, and the world was definitely a different place back then, especially 
when it came to the socially acceptable freedoms that children had. I would be allowed to play outside in the local street. I'm sure many of you were too. Nowadays, that seems to be more prohibited. So when he wasn't at home on the afternoon of the 5th, his parents weren't overly worried. They assumed he was at a friend's house. But as the afternoon got on and turned into the early evening, their anxiety surrounding their son's whereabouts started to increase. The day before, Jamie had been home all day because he'd been grounded. His parents started to make calls to try and locate their son, but with no luck. This soon turned into a search, with the police assisting the family. Missing posters started to go up in the local area, and the community were desperate to find Jamie. There were search teams wading through water, police riding on horseback, and at the time, it was one of the largest searches that Manchester police had ever undertaken. It wasn't long before people came forward with some information. They told the police that they'd seen a boy matching Jamie's description on the 219 bus. The police tracked down the driver, a man called Darren Vickers, and he confirmed that he had seen Jamie on his bus that day. He also said that he had told Jamie's sister that too, when she'd been out looking for him. He said that he knew about the missing boy and saw her in one of the search parties and he said to her, he didn't happen to be wearing a blue Reebok tracksuit, did he? She confirmed that he had, but he hadn't followed this up with the police. For Jamie's mother, Karen Spooner, and his father, John Lavis Sr., this was the first piece of promising news that they had received. Darren told the family that Jamie had bought a day-saver ticket that allowed him to ride the bus all day long, and that he'd done just that, sitting on the bus, looking out of the window. Darren assisted the police with their inquiries, and the police started to investigate this new lead. Meanwhile, the police held a press conference to try to trigger the memories of anyone who might have seen Jamie or have seen anything suspicious. Here's Jamie's mother Karen talking at the press conference alongside a police investigator. If anybody out there knows where Jamie is or giving him food, please just get in touch with the police. Everybody's waiting for him to come home. Now Jamie's described as being small for his age. He's about four foot tall and he wears, he wears clothes that are made to fit a five- to six-year-old. As word started to spread around the local area, multiple people told the police that they'd seen Jamie on that 219 bus on the 5th. That day was the May Day bank holiday in the UK, so the schools were off and a majority of people were off work too. It was thought that Jamie was going into town to get his mother a birthday present. As days passed, the pressure on the local police was growing. Where was Jamie? How could a little boy just get off a bus and vanish? And if something had happened to Jamie, were other local children at risk? Did they have someone on the loose who was hurting children? 
Karen and John were in a real-life nightmare, and they needed all the support that they could get. And they found that support in Darren, as in Darren, the bus driver, the last person who had seen Jamie alive. He quickly became a good friend of the family. He was very active and vocal to both the community and the press in the search for Jamie. He felt some responsibility at being the last person to have seen him alive, and he became the unofficial spokesperson for the family. He said this was to take the pressure off them having to deal with journalists whilst they were looking for their son. Here he is speaking to the local news. Somebody out there has got to be sick keeping a child of that age. You know, it shouldn't be done. If they had any respect, they'd just hand him over to the nearest police station. Just let the child go in. Just let him come home. He's not in trouble. He's not nothing. He's just wanted. Very soon after Jamie went missing, Darren Vickers moved into the home of the Lavis family. Yes, I know. That's strange. He was also driving the campaign for Jamie's safe return. The Lavis family had four other children and he was helping out with them too. If that wasn't strange enough, there are a few more other strange things that happened. Darren, who was also a father himself, was expecting another child with his partner, yet he moved out of their home and into the Lavis's home and he slept in Karen and John's bed. They gave up their room so he could sleep in the bed, and they slept downstairs, on the sofa. Every time the police wanted to talk to the couple about the case, Darren was there. He even lost his job because he took so much time off searching for Jamie. Over 300 leads came into the police with alleged sightings of Jamie, but only a handful of those would be significant. The rest were deemed irrelevant. But of all those sightings, they were either made on the day Jamie went missing or before. There was no sightings of him after the 5th of May. Aside from one, the following month, a member of the public contacted the police and said they thought they'd seen Jamie on the 15th of May and that he was with a man who had a birthmark on his neck. The witness spoke to the police's artist, and they put out an impression of the man, but it was eventually discounted as mistaken identity. Meanwhile, the police had also started trawling through the CCTV footage from the 5th of May, and there were soon some clear discrepancies in what Darren had told the family and the police and what had actually happened between Jamie and Darren at the bus stop. Darren had told them that Jamie had got onto his bus and was, quote, a normal passenger. But the other passengers who had come forward said that Jamie had been playful and helping him, giving out tickets and even sitting in the cab of the bus with Darren, helping him change gears. One woman said that she assumed that Jamie was his son and that she'd said, are you having a nice day out with your dad? He had rolled his eyes and said, no, he's my uncle. This was not true. 
The police then looked at some of the CCTV footage from the bus station on the day that Jamie went missing. And around 11.20am, you can see Jamie. He's pacing up and down and walking around the bus station as if he's waiting for something. And then Darren Vickers comes into the frame. He approaches Jamie. He ruffles his hair and you can see them talking. Minutes go by on the footage and then they both disappear out of frame. Why had Darren not told the Lavis family about this? He said that Jamie had got on the bus and brought a day saver ticket and ridden the bus all day. But then it was realised that children aren't allowed to buy day saver tickets and there was no evidence that Jamie had actually purchased any ticket at all. Jamie had been on the bus for almost six hours that day. Darren had also given Jamie 50p to buy a drink and Darren then told the police that after his shift had finished, he'd given Jamie a lift in his car. The police became very suspicious of Darren and they looked into his background. One of the things the police soon discovered was the fact that Darren had only started his job as a bus driver the week prior. They went through the references that he had given to his new employers and they soon discovered that they were all fake. But there was one that was a real person. A person that was also a convicted paedophile. The police were now highly alarmed. Darren Vickers was arrested on the 24th of May, 19 days after Jamie went missing. But Jamie's parents were adamant that Darren was innocent. They believed that the police had no other leads and had arrested Darren to look like they were making progress. The police went as far as to search Darren's home and car. He was questioned by detectives in the case, but though they remained suspicious, nothing in those interviews gave them a reason to charge him and Darren was released. Jamie's parents were waiting outside of the police station for him and when they got home, they had a party. Yes, they celebrated the release of their friend who in the last three weeks had moved in with them and become an unofficial member of the family. Darren's common-law partner and mother of his children who was also expecting his baby Faye Stafford, told the press that Darren wouldn't hurt a fly and complained that when the police had searched their home, they'd damaged it and taken things from them, including private letters and home videos of their own children. Darren was desperate to clear his name and he invited a TV crew into the Lavis home, where he was living, to give them his side of the story. If I would have never come forward in the first place... You know, just to let them know that I'd seen Jamie on that day. There'd never been nothing the wiser today. They'd have been ripping their head, pulling at straws, you know. You know, I, th- I thought I did the right, the right decent thing in letting them know that I'd seen him on the day. But I'd never thought I'd have been 
you know, arrested on suspicion of his abduction, I think it's just a joke. That I've got nothing to do with the abduction of James Lavis. And I've got the backing of the Lavis family, relations, everybody. A popular TV show in 1997 was Crime File. And two months after Jamie vanished, the producers wanted to do a reconstruction of Jamie's last known movements. A young actor played Jamie and Jamie's family, his older brother John Jr. and Darren Vickers, were all involved in the reconstruction. After this programme went out, an anonymous tip came into the police station. The phone caller said that Jamie's body was buried in a shallow grave in an area called Bogart Hole Clough in Manchester. Over 100 officers took part in a thorough search to try and find Jamie's body, but they didn't find anything. This case was still fresh and news producers would often feature Darren on their news programmes. He was still making himself the unofficial spokesperson for the family, despite having been arrested. The trust the Lavis family had in Darren was paramount and the police found it hard to keep the family updated, knowing that anything they said to them would ultimately be heard by Darren. Their friendship, meanwhile, seemed to be blossoming. One of the main images that accompanies this case, if you search it online, was a photograph of Darren Vickers sitting topless on the sofa of Jamie's family in between Jamie's parents. Darren also asked Karen and John to be godparents to his unborn child, and they accepted. They supported him, and Darren continued to immerse himself into the case. But Darren wasn't the only person who was expecting a baby. Karen, Jamie's mother, discovered that she was expecting again, and told the press that if she had a boy, they would call him Aaron James after his missing brother. Almost three months after Jamie went missing, Darren Vickers decided to call a local radio station to give his side of the story again. Well, I was coming back from Manchester and I said to him, uh, I'm going to have to start you back off now because this is my last run off. Jamie turned around and said to me, but my mum and dad's not in, I've got nowhere to go. Then I said to him, well, since I only live on the corner from me, I can take you back to the depot and drop you off when I go home. He was over the moon about it. He said, yeah. I said, are you sure you're going to be okay? He said, yeah. That was the last we saw of him. So how's the police investigation going, Darren? The police are not letting much information out about that. It's the family is supposed to know, you know the first confirmed sighting. Yeah. We've never been told. He finished his interview by telling the host that he believed Jamie was still alive and said, quote, if he was dead, they would have found him by now. This interview changed a lot of people's perceptions of Darren. They felt that it was a strange thing for him to do and some of the listeners of the radio station started calling in as they wanted to have questions put to Darren, though those questions were not answered on air. The weeks went by and seemingly out of the blue, the police arrested six people for perverting the course of justice relating to Jamie's case. Three of those people were family members of Darren Vickers, his mother, his sister 
and his partner. The six had been arrested after officers compared their statements and said significant discrepancies were there. Darren was not one of those arrested. After questioning, all of them were released. But after these six people were interviewed by the police, it was now clear that Darren had been lying, and on the 14th of October, armed with a lot of circumstantial evidence, the police arrested Darren Vickers in connection with Jamie's disappearance. Two days later, he was charged with abduction. Jamie's family now had to accept that the man that they'd let into their home and sleep in their bed had been charged with the abduction of their son, and it was likely that he knew exactly where Jamie was. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Darren's constant need to put himself in the media backfired on him when two teenagers came forward to police and said they recognised Darren on the TV as a man who had previously lured them to some local woodland in a place called Reddish Vale Golf Course in Stockton. And he had even said to them that he thought he saw Jamie's body in there. He had a picture of Jamie on him and he showed it to the two teenagers. When he did that, the teenagers turned around and ran away. When the police heard about this, they immediately issued a search of the woodland. And on the 24th of October, the police found Jamie's clothes and amongst those clothes was a child's jawbone. It was confirmed as Jamie's through dental records. This was utterly horrifying and confirmed the suspicions that Jamie had been murdered. Over the coming days, other parts of Jamie's body would be found, but not all of them. Darren Vickers was then charged with murder. He denied all charges. Karen, Jamie's mother, reacted to the news. Police officer said, we've found the remains, we've had it tested and it's Jamie. And I said, no, it's not. I said, no, it's not Jamie. And, and I wouldn't believe it for months. I wouldn't accept it that it was Jamie. In fact, because of the fact of the state that they found it in, I didn't think there was no person on this earth could do that to a child. 
because we didn't find all of what, what was of Jamie. We didn't find all his clothes and we didn't find all his body. As the prosecution worked towards taking Darren Vickers to trial, Darren decided to make a new claim public. He claimed, wait for this, that he might be the father of Jamie's mother Karen's unborn child. He claimed that he had been having an affair with her, something she strenuously denied. And he demanded that she have a blood test to determine the paternity of that baby. It was not Darren's. It was her husband John's. There was no evidence to suggest that there had ever been an affair between Karen and Darren Vickers. So why did he say it? Just to remain in the media? Or to cause trouble and further pain to the Lavis family? Whatever his reason, it just proved how evil he really was. Karen and John told the police that they'd let Darren babysit their children. He'd even taken them swimming. He'd shown a lot of interest in John Jr., Jamie's 11-year-old brother, and had even brought him a bike, new shoes, and had even taken him on bus rides before he was let go. Just as he had with Jamie. John then told his parents that Darren had taken him to Woodland, where Jamie was buried, given him a cigarette, and told him that his brother was buried there, and if he didn't behave himself and do as he was told, he would end up there as well. The police never managed to find all of Jamie's body parts, so the family had to lay what they could to rest. His funeral was held in June 1998, 13 months after he went missing. And as his mother emerged from her funeral car, she became hysterical at the sight of her son's white coffin draped in flowers, and she collapsed. My heart is honestly breaking saying this, and I'm only just holding it together. I just can't bear to even imagine. Over 100 mourners piled into the small church in Openshaw, Manchester, where Jamie's favourite pop songs played. They included Mama by the Spice Girls and Truly Madly Deeply by Savage Garden. Karen had also written a poem for her son, which was read out during the service. Whilst Darren was on remand awaiting trial, he wrote a 15-page letter, which he gave to his cellmate, who then passed it on to the police. Within those pages was a confession. He said that he had hit Jamie when they were both on the bus, as he was playing around with the ticket machine whilst Darren was doing his final checks before taking the bus back to the depot. He said that at the same time he had to brake sharply and that Jamie fell backwards and hit his head on the luggage rack and died. Darren wrote that he had panicked and picked him up, like you would a sleeping child, and put him in his car. He then drove home 
he took his family to his mother's house whilst he hid Jamie's body in the house next door, a house that was unoccupied. He then went to get Jamie's body and put it into the woodland. There were clearly lies being told by Darren here, especially as Jamie's body had been dismembered. The police didn't believe that this was an accident. They were certain that there was another motive for Jamie's murder and that it was a sinister one. They believed that Darren was a paedophile and had been grooming Jamie on the bus that day. They then believe that he took him to Woodland because there was a golf ball in Jamie's trouser pockets. The Woodland was next to a golf course and the police believed that Jamie had found a stray golf ball, picked it up and put it in his pocket before he was killed. The police were convinced that Darren had sexually assaulted Jamie and that his motivation for killing him was to stop him from telling anyone. The family thought that his confession would mean that they were spared the difficult task of sitting through a trial, but they were wrong. Just when you thought Darren Vickers couldn't get any more evil, he proved once again that he could. First, he retracted his confession and opted to go to trial. And then he turned on John Lavis, Jamie's father, and tried to implicate him for the murder of his own son. As he presented his own defence, he told the jury that John had a violent streak, something that John's surviving children denied. He then told the jury that he and Karen, Jamie's mother, had been searching a park five days after Jamie went missing and that they ended up having sex. He said they were intimate on 11 different occasions and this was why he'd wanted the DNA test previously. Karen took the stand and swore that they'd never been intimate and that she'd always been faithful to her husband of 18 years. She told the jury that graffiti had been sprayed around their neighbourhood about her, saying that she'd slept with her own son's murderer. This evil man was intent on making their lives hell. The jury unanimously found Darren guilty and he was sentenced to serve a minimum of 25 years in prison. I so wish I could tell you that that was the end of Darren Vickers' evil on that family. Four days after the trial, the detective on the case visited Darren, who tearfully admitted that they got it right. He had sexually assaulted Jamie on the bus, and then he'd killed him. He also said that in the past, he had frequented areas where he knew there were youth groups for disadvantaged children, including soup kitchens, because he knew that if he propositioned them, they might be more willing to sell themselves for money. He also retracted his claims about John Lavis being violent towards his children. But his evil side soon came back to the forefront again when he tried to appeal his conviction. In 2005, his mother came forward and said there was new evidence that gave Darren an alibi for the night that Jamie was killed. He tried to appeal a further time, but both appeals were rejected. Sadly, John Jr., Jamie's brother, 
who was also groomed by Darren, died at the age of 30 in 2017. And in 2020, Jamie's father, John Senior, died too. I said at the beginning of the episode that there was a reason that I wanted to cover this case and it was because of something I'd seen in the news just last year. Darren Vickers was jailed for a minimum term of 25 years in 1999, which meant that he could be released this year in 2024, around our children as a free man. I wanted to just bring to light again that for families of victims, this is a reality. Sometimes family members will get to have input at parole hearings, or they will at least be able to issue an impact statement to the parole board, asking them to keep their loved ones' killers off the street. In my very first episode of Real, I interviewed a man called Dale, whose mother, Kathleen Griffin, was murdered in the most brutal way by a homeless man that she had taken in and cared for. He was up for parole after just seven years. Dale came onto the show to ask for help in getting people to sign a petition, a petition that he could use to try to help keep his mother's killer behind bars. Luckily, it worked and Scott Hilling remains behind bars, not just because of the petition. There were other factors too. But if you look online at different petition websites and social media pages, you will see hundreds of petitions. Ones from families asking the public to sign to keep their loved ones' murderers off the streets and out of our communities. Some of the petitions that I saw today included ones to keep John Venables, Colin Pitchfork, Stephen Lisk, David Minto, Stephen Barker, Robert Brown and David McGreevy inside. The list is endless. And behind each of these petitions is a family missing a loved one because of these people. And remember, we can have our say. We can write to our MPs. We can sign petitions and we can show support to those who are trying to keep our streets safe and to maintain justice for their loved ones. This was something that the Lavis family will still have to deal with in the future. And it brought home to me just how prolonged this nightmare has been for this family and for thousands of others across the world who were trying to keep the people that took their loved ones from them inside. As they try to move on with their life without Jamie, the potential release of the man who ruined their lives must undoubtedly stay at the back of their minds. Thankfully, the parole board decided that they would not release Darren Vickers or move him to an open prison for now. He will stay behind bars. How a man who was so manipulative and calculating could ever be set free again is beyond me. To continue to groom the brother of the young boy that he had just murdered, that tells you everything you need to know. And I truly hope Darren Vickers remains behind bars for the rest of his pathetic life.
Thank you so much for listening. Um, I know this episode has probably been a really tough listen for many of you. And I wanted to thank you for coming back week after week to join me. You can probably tell that this episode really, really got under my skin. Every single episode in every single case I carry with me, I remember details about all the cases I cover because they are someone's loved ones. I think the manipulation and calculation, as I mentioned, with Darren Vickers, it blew my mind that someone like him can really exist in human form. So please, after today's episode, please take care of yourself. I need to go and touch some grass and hug my kids. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, I've been Naomi Channel and this has been real.